Welcome to Artists of New England. This is a podcast created to inspire you on your journey of artistic expression. Whether you are a career artist, a teacher, an emerging artist, or hobbyist, you can learn and gain support from your peers. We will explore the symbiotic relationship between these groups, lending insight and empathy towards each other. We will discover the where, when, why, and how of the creative process of artists living and working in New England, with occasional bonus interviews with gallery owners, collectors of fine art, and art historians. Perhaps today's show will bring you the aha moment you've been waiting for. Welcome to Artists of New England with your host, Laura Castanari-King, and this is episode three of our special segment, The Heart of Seeing with Todd Benita, who is here with us. What's happened? Thank you for having me again, sweetheart you. Love what you do. Thank you. Getting good reviews. People really are enjoying this. Good. I'm glad. I enjoy it too. And um, I do love what you're doing. I like when people have ideas and they, they try to spread the word of art. So I guess we're doing our part, spreading the word of art. We are. Huh? Here we are. So who are we talking about today? Well, today, uh, well, again, let me unpackage it. Uh, okay, for, okay, for, okay. If you're just jumping in on episode three <laughs> of the Heart of Seeing. Yes. What is this Heart of Seeing thing you're talking about? Well, it's uh, simply put, it is a front row seat from the perspective of a student observing a teacher. Sort of, uh, I have this small, goofy art school called the Ogunquit Summer School of Art. Where What's I goofy have, about it? What's goofy about it? Yeah, why um, do you say that? You know, it's, it's, it's I just find I'm attended. Art... Are you telling me I'm a goofball? <laughs> yes, yes, I am. It's a term of endearment. I find okay, I find okay. all of this goofy and fun, you know? Yeah. To me, go- goofiness is fun. And um, the great Robert Ginn, that Canadian painter, mm. he had this wonderful blog. Um, he passed, so mm-hmm. I, I talk about him in past tense. But his, uh, his blog, which was um, The Painter's Keys, mm-hmm. um, Highly recommend this to all my students or whenever I talk shop with artists. The Painter's Keys um, is a terrific resource. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it's filled with art quotes and wisdom about art. Robert Gem was this Yoda who um, uh, twice a week would, uh, would would send an essay in your inbox, and the essay could be on anything topical about art. And I learned so much from that guy. I never met him, but. Yeah. He was sort of this Yoda guru uh, guy I never met, mm-hmm. but it just informed me when I was learning how to paint and trying to figure out how to make a career. Right. Um, and they're concise. Very concise, yeah. articulate. That's what um, I like about Yeah, it. and you know, look, I, I know uh, a lot of people listening to this podcast are, um, you know, we're all sort of connected. We're all trying to figure this out. We're mm-hmm. all trying to crack the codes to good paintings. Some of us are trying to figure out how to make a career. Some of us just want to, you know, raise the bar a little bit. Maybe you want to show in a gallery, whatever it is. And anyway, I thought that was a terrific resource. Already I'm off topic. I know, sorry. Tangent, so we're back to okay. the goofy school. Yeah, 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 yeah. So anyway, we have this. Uh, so anyway, Robert Gens, to tie it all in, he talks about art as being this playful thing. You know, okay, don't ever yeah. lose the joy. Don't ever lose the fun. So even when I talk mm. about art, to me, it's just this big goof. Art, teaching, painting, all of this is a, my giant playground. So to me, it's all a goofy kind of Okay. It's all it's all goofy blast. Thanks for you the know? explanation. Ah, please, you're asking. I'm telling you. <laughs> um, but uh, so I have this goofy art school, <laughs> and it really is goofy. We 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 hire some of the best painters in the country to come here to Ogunquit, Portsmouth, and they teach here. Um, and it it gives me like a front row seat to see how uh, some of the greatest painters in the country are 
cracking the codes to good paintings. And it's, it's been fantastic. Mm -hmm. I, I have notebooks filled. I actually have one Ooh, here today. Yeah. My Tim Horn notes. We're going to talk about Tim Ooh, Horn today. Yeah. So this makes my job easier. You know, this is sort of the perspective of the student. What were your three takeaways or whatever your takeaways were from mm -hmm. this workshop? Mm -hmm. And I recognize that takeaways uh, are going to be different for you than they are for me. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if you and I are both in the front row of this Tim Horn workshop, it seems to me that whatever you're ready for in your art journey, yeah. um, you're going to uh, retain from the workshop and I'll retain whatever I'm ready for. Our brains are funny like that, you know? Mm -hmm. um, sometimes I'll, I'll be painting or drawing and I'll have a eureka moment, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that eureka moment will be, will be something that my brain is just ready for. And I'll, I'll be like, whoa, mm -hmm. that's what Nathan Goldstein was talking about in 1994 in his basic <laughs> drawing class. And it just sort of hits you because, <laughs> right. you know, you've now figured out some things and sure. now you're ready. But your brain can retain information. Mm -hmm. um, but um, I, I find myself being uh, more of a note taker as my, uh, my brain has a uh, lesser and lesser capacity to retain things. In one of these weeks, <laughs> I'm going to take a picture because this is so well planned out. Oh, my notes you mean on the yeah. table here? Yeah, what you can't see over there in podcast land is I have notes with like... Yeah, I'm going to take a picture. Okay, that, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah, <laughs> we're all adults. You could do what you want. But uh, <laughs> anyway, so today we're going to talk about Tim Horn and uh, some of the takeaways I got from Tim Horn. He's... He's one of my favorites, you know, and he's a national favorite right now. You know, if you if you open up Plain Air magazine or he's a favorite um, in that you love his work or his teaching or uh, everything. Both, oh, both. Okay. To me, I, I just think he's sort of the whole package. Okay. You know, okay. when you go to workshops, you have the luxury of talking to other fellow students and, and fellow art travelers uh, who oftentimes take multiple workshops. They've studied with that guy and that woman and so mm -hmm. on. And so you can sort of get the insider's tip, you know, yeah. what, what were your takeaways from that teacher or what did you learn from that one? Was he or she a good teacher? Some, some painters are very good painters, but have a difficult uh, time or a difficult, it's difficult for them to articulate some oh, complex sure. ideas oh, and, you know, it yeah. is what it is. So, yeah. but Tim seems to be the whole package, yeah. you know, a super guy, great painter, uh, very articulate, um, you know, he has a friendly, warm way of um, of uh, uh, just conducting himself in the workshop and his whole career professionally. Mm -hmm. I've learned a lot from Tim. And mm -hmm. uh, we've hired him for two workshops. He came to a gunkwit in uh, Portsmouth. Mm -hmm. And um, we'll have him uh, back in October. He's going to teach a workshop nice. in Italy for us. Yeah, so I can't get enough of this guy. But I hope to have him on the roster annually. Okay. But okay, let's get right down to it. Now, of course... Um, you can uh, Google Tim yes. <laughs> and uh, you can listen to, uh, he's done several uh, podcast interviews himself. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm not pretending this is, sure. yeah, th this is what it is. This is, this is our perspective here, right? But um, I'll give you just a, just a little feedback on um, uh, an overview of what Tim's about. Tim is, um, he is, I guess you'd call him a California painter. I don't know. He's from Ohio originally. Mm -hmm. He was born and raised in a small town in Ohio. Mm -hmm. And, uh, Went to Cooper Union School and studied graphic design in New York City. And then um, found his way to San Francisco, I think in the late 80s or early 90s. And it was there in Marin County, Sonoma area of California, that he met a guy named Stanley Goldstein, who was a California Impressionist. California has this rich history of plein air painting 
and what's called the California Impressionists. You know, mm -hmm. they have that wonderful weather so they can paint outdoors all year. They sure do. Um, <laughs> don't get me wrong. We have some diehards here in New England <laughs> who paint in the snow. They're up to their uh, yeah. kneecaps in at this time of year. But um, in any case, he uh, stumbled onto the Stanley Goldstein guy and he was hooked. Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting to note that before that, when he studied graphic design, he wanted to be a graphic designer. You know, a lot of people, they go to art school and they want to be painters and they will settle on being a graphic designer because okay. it seems like a safe sure. decision. Like, yeah, I can graduate and get a job and at least I'm in the field. He actually wanted to become a graphic yeah. designer. And had he, he painted up to that point? He, he had dabbled. Okay. He had only dabbled, which is so funny. Yeah. But, and this is interesting because the takeaways are relative to his design and how him being trained mm -hmm. as a designer, and he did work in New York City after he graduated Cooper Union in the design field. Mm -hmm. And that is, you know, I tell you, the, a lot of the painters who I meet, um, it's not uncommon to find a lot of them have a design background. You know, designers make hell of a painter. You yeah. know, they make, did I say that right? They make hell of a painter? That doesn't make <laughs> we uh, any get, sense we at all, totally but you get. understand what I'm talking about. We do. Um, okay, so Tim brought his design sensibilities to his painting. And yeah. it's one of the first takeaways for me. Um, let me just bullet point the big takeaways from Timothy Horn. They are, in this one, very simply put, something called No Time. Which no I've been dying to know more about, so this is exciting. No Time, yeah. I'll, I'll get to it in a sec. It's essentially black and white, you know? It's mm -hmm. it's values, but without the midtones, it's a very simplified mm -hmm. way of seeing big. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'll talk about his design and his process and then something that Tim calls Timothy Tips. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. He actually called him Timothy Tips Does in his workshop. He does not. Uh, not. Not as far as I know, he doesn't. Um, we've, we've been threatening to put something together to showcase <laughs> the artists who have painted the Ogunk at Summer School oh. of Art. And oh, how nice. Tim was the first guy I reached out. So, you know, wow. yeah, there's not enough hours in the day to do all these goofy projects. Um, yeah. But anyway, Google Tim's work. You can also check out his website at timhornart.com. Okay. Okay. So uh, Tim's one of the bigs. He's a, uh, I would characterize his work. He's a representational realist oil painter. He's, um, his work is notable for its simple design, its bold color, high contrast value patterns. He's, uh, I guess he's looser more than tighter. Mm -hmm. um, this whole loose tight thing is, is a funny thing to me. Yeah. Um, and I think that all of us as artists trying to figure out who we are as painters, mm -hmm. this is an interesting thing to consider, uh, you know, how loose or how tight you are. Mm -hmm. And right now in 2019, it seems to be very trendy to be loose and juicy and fresh. And, and I get that. I understand right. that there's, there's beautiful work that's being produced in a, in a very loose manner. But there's also very beautiful tight work. And mm -hmm. history has shown us that both can be beautiful. Mm -hmm. Not one is better than the other. It's certainly subjective. Um, Do you but, think it's cyclical and it'll come back to the, the stronger realism? Um, when you say stronger realism, you mean Well, tighter? I mean, just tighter, yeah. Uh, that, that it'll kind of swing the other way. That the so, I, I, of course, I, like you, have a limited experience in all this. I can okay. only look to art history yeah. and what I read. Yeah. And my sense is, yeah, that, yeah, art, art has always been cyclical, right? Okay. It's up and it's down. It's loose. It's tight. It's yeah. uh, abstract. It's back to representational and... Uh, a bunch of isms tossed in between. So, yeah, I think so. But this idea of loose and tight is interesting in that I see this as uh, there's this spectrum, right? On one end, you have, think of Monet on one end, who mm -hmm. to me is a loose painter. He's loose and expressive. Mm 
And on the other end, the complete opposite, maybe you have Andrew Wyeth. I may have talked about this analogy before. Andrew Wyeth is super tight. And I guess the question is that we should be asking ourselves is where are we on the spectrum? Are, mm-hmm. we, are we sort of closer to Andrew Wyeth and super tight? Or are we closer to Monet and much looser and expressive? Again, it's subjective. Not mm-hmm. one is mm-hmm. better than the other. It's, mm-hmm. it's really a matter of your own personal taste. But it's interesting to note that we all fall in that trajectory somewhere. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the last 10 paintings you did, you can sort of get an idea of what direction you're going in, where you've been, <laughs> etc. Right. But the trajectory of most people seems to be they start their artistic pursuit or career tight. And as they get older, they get looser. Ah. Interesting. I don't know what that even means, the right? The eyesight goes. No. The eyesight goes. That could, that could be it, actually. You know, truly. But um, <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, anyway, just an anecdote. Um, Tim mostly paints landscapes, uh, ranches. He lives in California, so he has access to these, these mm. cool sort of uh, ranches in the valley. Uh, old buildings and cars. He does these wonderful jet stream paintings that yeah. he's sort of really popular for. That's what I've seen a lot. Um, anyway, he gets check marks in all the areas of being collected widely. He's a uh, artist member of the California Art Club. But enough of this nonsense. Let's get right down to old Timmy and things I took away from his workshop. Um, well, you know, one thing, uh, one of the very first things that's funny, the first thing in my notes was the materials he was using. I'm not going to talk extensively about his materials, but this was one of my takeaways, and it was that he uses Rembrandt colors. For those of you who want to paint loose and juicy and you want want that expressive brushwork, I've painted, I've 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 observed enough instructors who paint loose and juicy and a la prima, one shot, fresh, who have noted that they use Rembrandt paints because they're buttery uh-huh. and they're conducive to that. I've heard it enough that I actually wrote it down and said, you know something, okay, okay. if I want to be looser and I yeah. want my work to be more buttery and expressive, then let me do that. And, and I actually bought myself a set. And they That's are, they are much more buttery. Yeah. Um, okay. It's funny, I've been at this for Intriguing. 20 or more years myself and I'm, I'm humbled by how little exploration I've done. When you, hmm. when you, when you kind of, when you're in the uh, when you have the good fortune to be in the front row and observe artists like this, and the better artists seem to be more experimental, they try things and they're able to talk about the differences between Rembrandt and and you know Gamblin colors, for example. And and when you think about it, God is in the details, and the tools and materials mm-hmm. must fit your sensibilities. If you want to be a loose painter, well, guess what? There are paint brands out there that are more conducive to the. To the, to the style you want to paint in. Interesting, right? Yeah, I did not know. Yeah, that was so, one of my takeaways. David great. Lucier, the great uh, yeah, I know he Connecticut now main painter. Yeah. He's one of ours now. He's part He's of our Ogunquan Art Colony. That's right, baby. <laughs> but David Lucier, who's uh, nationally recognized, you know, he does the plein air circuit, Mala Prima painter. He uses Rembrandt paints yeah. as well. And he, he said the same thing in my notes about David. Took his workshop a number of years ago, and mm-hmm. I'll certainly talk about him sometime. But mm-hmm. he... Um, he talked about the buttery consistency. Anyway, interesting to know. So consider who you are as a painter, what direction you're going in, mm-hmm. and know that there is a paint tube out there for you. You know, yeah. there's a brand out there that's more conducive. Keep looking. Exactly. Experimentation is is a very healthy thing. Not only with your paint tubes, but your surfaces, your brushes, etc. Yeah. When you find that perfect combination of all of those things, things start to click. You know, mm-hmm. these little mm-hmm. things come together. The better painters have figured out all these little studio practices. Uh, and Tim is one of those guys, you know? So um, 
so Notan, let's get right to it. Notan was one of the big takeaways for, for me and being in the front row of Tim's workshop. Tim paints, um, you know, uh, bold compositions, simple design, bold color. Um, Notan is a design concept. It's a Japanese design concept, concept mm -hmm. that involves the play and placement of light and darks uh, within a composition. So essentially you're establishing the big shapes and patterns of mm -hmm. light and dark. Um, I guess another way to break it down is this. In the West, in the U.S., we have something that we teach called values, right? Mm -hmm. It's light, darks, and mid-tones. Right. Three families uh, on a value scale. But in the East, in Japan, they have no time. It's much simpler. Pow. Yeah. One of my very favorite designers, Winslow Homer, designed using this no time. No time is just think of black and white. It's black and white. It's without the mid-tones, yeah. right? So that by getting rid of the mid-tones, it's almost like squinting and condensing. Yeah. They're simplifying. One of the, our, uh, the art school dictums, one of the uh, academic principles, when in doubt, leave it out. Essentially, the, the hmm. Japanese or the, the Eastern philosophy is, well, let's leave out midtones altogether <laughs> and just kind of create designs yeah. that hold together just using dark and light. It's bigger, it's bolder, it gets to it. If is you're, it always black and white? Um, I mean, you know, you could use a brown sharpie. That's what, that, yeah, you know, okay. whatever. whatever. It's, just it's, whatever it's, your dark it, it's, it's two, yeah, it's two tones. Okay. Yeah, dark and dark. I think of yin and yang. Okay. Um, uh, but it's funny you say that because uh, I have a brown sharpie that I use to do my notons. So whatever, <laughs> as long as it's dark lady, See, okay. <laughs> but um, but that's what he does. So okay. he'll he'll observe his composition or his motif, and he has a little sketchbook, and he does oh. a series of notons, and oh, they're teeny okay. little, you know, two by two inch, three by three inch, okay. black and white sketches, yeah. where he's just seeing the big picture. He's squinting his eyes. Yeah. Again, to go back to academic principles, um, Timothy Horn is a highly disciplined painter. So he's squinting his eyes using the magic squint, the very first <laughs> principle of seeing like an artist. I just the magic squint. My glasses. That looks great. Yeah, and that's that's one of the joys of being fifty or plus <laughs> myself right. is just take your glasses off. It's just like squinting. The that's whole right. world is blurry. Don't have to get more wrinkles. Exactly right. I like your style, Laura Casanari. Um, so okay, no time. So he does a few of those before he paints. Yes. And does he put something like that on, your, on the canvas? Something like that. Yes, okay. something like that. Okay. But these notons are little works of art themselves. So yeah. picture this. You're looking at your yeah. scene and you squint your eyes and you give yourself a brain command. You say, brain, I command you to look at the scene, the motif before me, yeah. and just isolate the abstract puzzle shapes of dark. Okay. And so if you stare at it long enough through squinted eyes, you begin to abstract it. When you squint your eyes, things become blurry. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that the right side of your brain cannot identify what something blurry is. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, the left side of your brain can't identify what something blurry is. Therefore, the right side of your brain, the artist brain, the abstract brain, is able to retain this information in a very abstract way. If I'm losing you, I apologize. But what I'm saying is, when you squint your eyes, mm -hmm. you awaken the right side of your brain, yeah. and you're able to see shapes instead of things so instead of you know looking at if you're looking at a barn for example if you squint your eyes long enough and you focus on just the dark shapes the dark patterns on of the shadows in the barn mm. you begin to see shapes and you forget you're seeing a barn that so, is at the heart of seeing and that's at the heart of no time yeah, yeah. how does how does he interpret the midtone does he record them well he doesn't interpret the midtones this is all about design so okay. he's he's um he's designing the big shape okay 
later on through the painting, he, he'll add mid-tones and half-tones and whatnot. Okay. But uh, again, uh, Homer designed just like that, mm -hmm. uh, just like this. There's, um, there's a number of terrific uh, Homer collections, coffee table books that have series of Homer's work. Mm -hmm. um, and I think like the two or three that I have all have his little Noton sketches. And, wow. and they show how he, how he started with his Noton sketches, saw the big design, and then, a, and then it translated into a painting that, of course, did have half-tones. But you look at a Winslow Homer painting, it pops from sure. across the room. It pops from 25, 30 feet away. Yeah. That's essentially what Noton does. It's an extremely strong, bold way of designing. Uh, it, it, it gives a painting pop. Uh, paintings derive their interest from juxtaposing elements, right? Mm -hmm. And there's nothing more juxtaposing than black and white. That is like, ah, that's bold contrast. Um, so Tim... He describes it like this, and I love this. He, in his lecture before he even started painting, he showed us a series of images. And these images um, included a, a series of houses next to each other, right? So just picture in your mind's eye, just the shape of a house. What Tim says is he notices the shape of the house first. So a house is a, an arrangement of geometric shapes, you know, verticals, uh, horizontals and diagonals, architectural, man-made, straight, sharp. And it, it's either interesting to you or it's not, right? Mm -hmm. So the inherent shape of things as an artist when you're searching for motif either interests you or it doesn't. Mm -hmm. That's just step one. And then Tim looks, squints his eyes and sees the shadow patterns on that particular shape. Um, so he sees the shape of the thing, the house, for example, first. Mm -hmm. Then he squints his eyes and observes the abstract patterns within the confines of the larger shape. Mm -hmm. Um his use of the combination of his, him describing it and observing it, of course, it'll make more sense, but I'm doing the best I can yeah. to translate that via a podcast here. Mm -hmm. But um, So, yeah, no time. Um, and before he begins his, uh, his painting, he'll do a little sketch. Again, these probably take two to three minutes. He okay. uses a black Sharpie, yeah. and they are beautiful little mm -hmm. works of art. They're just these little huh. black and white graphic uh, images. And when you see them, and you see how beautiful they are, you understand how he bridged his design knowledge and brought it right into him designing his uh, painting motifs. Part of his design work included designing uh, logos. And logos are all about condensing complex ideas and simplifying them. So his brain, in many ways, as a designer creating logos, was working the same way a successful artist brain works, where you're looking at all this complex motif and you're condensing it and mm -hmm. simplifying it. What do I leave in? What do I leave out? Mm -hmm. A man thinks like an art genius. All right? Got it. Good. <laughs> so that's no time. First, I see the shape of the thing. Then I see the inherent value no time patterns. That's mm -hmm. a quote from Tim. That's from my notebooks. So you ask about those midtones. When Tim sees the midtones, mm -hmm. um, and that, that's the big one, you know, Seeing that the darks and the light, the darkest darks and the lightest lights in your motif, those are the easiest things to identify, sure. right? It's the midtones that it's sort of confusing, particularly like dark midtones or light midtones. Are they in the dark family or are they in the, are they in the mid dark right. midtone? It's very yeah. You know, and so this is why uh, artists squint our eyes and we we use our brains to condense and simplify. And Tim talks about this and stresses this idea of. When you are looking at your motif and you see midtones that you're you're not sure, you know, is it a midtone? Is it a dark midtone? Is it really a dark? Yeah. What he'll do is he'll condense. He'll squint 
and he'll push it. He'll tell a little lie. He'll push okay. that dark okay. midtone into the darks, therefore simplifying uh, the overall larger shape. I see. Boom. Okay. Um, so that is, um, that's all I got to say about that. All we got right. in no well, time. So demystified a lot for me there. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, I still love to see him. There's volumes <laughs> and books written on it. Yes. Well, take one of his dime workshops. He's, mm -hmm. um, incredibly skilled yeah. at his combination of like articulating complex ideas and the painting itself. When you see them together, it's like your head explodes. Pow, like, you know, and that's, that's, that's what makes to me a really good instructor. Yeah. And I like that. He's an A-lister in my opinion. Right. Um, okay. So, uh, his, uh, his process, let's talk about his process. And this was, he did, he did a demonstration each day okay. and they were all in the field and, you know, he can bang out just a beautiful finished little Alla Prima painting in two hours. Mm. Um, so he starts with his no-time sketch, as I pointed out, and and this is the part where he points out this academic principle. Here comes another academic principle for you. Okay. This, okay? Love it. Most paintings pass or fail within the first mm. 15 minutes. Mm. What? Yeah. Most paintings pass or fail <laughs> within the first 15 minutes. Write it down. Write it down. That's the price of the whole podcast right here. That's a good one. When I first heard that, I was, I was like, really? Wow. I better really be careful these first 15 minutes. Yeah. And it's true. And it's because we're so damn excited to move that paintbrush around and start the escape. You know, this great escape we have <laughs> where you get into your painting yes. and you look at the clock. Three hours went by. You don't know where they went. Mm -hmm. They call it the alien abduction. Someone comes up behind you and scares the life out of you. That's right. You're in the zone. That's right. But if you take 15 minutes and consider the composition, no time design, yeah. um, there is uh, there is where the love is. There is where you can save yourself the next two hours of just what they say, what they call polishing a turd. In other words, if you don't get <laughs> the design, the drawing, if you don't, if you don't get the bones and the foundation correct for, yeah. right away, you're polishing a turd for the next two yeah. hours. Okay. So he starts with a noton and a sketchbook, and then he essentially translates that via paint. And he starts with a big block in of the dark shapes, okay. and he uses ultramarine blue. He just does sort of like an ultramarine blue wash. And he's he's so humble and matter of fact. You know, he, the way he talks about this is very light and approachable. And he talks about it in, a, in a, like a, in a leisurely way where sort of academics meet just a clumsy, goofy kid who's playing and having mm. fun. And, and it's light and airy and he's a joy to watch. Mm. Essentially what he's saying is, you know, I just kind of like Ultramarine Blue and I kind of put it there. And, <laughs> and, and, and truthfully, there is an academic principle at play here. And I'm cautious to talk about academic principles because that's all they are. They're mm. academic principles and they're rules. And rules are certainly made to be broken, but they're, they're always worth talking about. Um, as it relates to learning and understanding art, because this is uh, this this is how we train our brains how to make stuff look like nature, you know, mm -hmm. how to make our canvases look like nature. So the idea of him blocking in using ultramarine blue, a it's transparent, right? And another academic principle: your shadows and your darks should be transparent, and your lights should be more uh, semi-opaque or more opaque. Thicker lights, thinner transparency, thinner and transparent shadows. Mm -hmm. um, so. That's certainly a good reason for him to start with ultramarine blue. Ultramarine blue is inherently transparent from the tube, no matter what brand you're using. But also, one of the principles, uh, an academic principle, is that your shadows should be cool and your lights should be warm. Of course, this can be flipped, and we see it flip in nature all the time. 
but um, in most paintings, I mm -hmm. think um, historically your shadows are indeed cool and your and your your lights are warm. Um, so he'll block in his uh, the big shape. So essentially, he's painting a giant notan on his canvas. Okay. And I tell you, when, when it, it, he does it fairly quickly, and you're just washing in those big shapes, and you can you know, you can see it. It's almost yeah. all you need. Yeah. Like the, the graphic designer in your heart and brain says, "Oh yeah, you know, I see that. I see the power of the design right here already." Mm. And the rest is decoration, you know. Mm. Um, and then he'll mix up his darks. Um, he'll he'll mix up his darks and paint over the blues, and he, he paints his shadows and his darks fairly thinly. Um, and the colors that he's mixing as darks, they're sort of non-committal. Because color is relative, and this is another principle, color is relative. So let's say you're looking into the, 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 the color of the shadow, and it's like this blue shadow on a, on a, on a street. Um, you may believe you've matched it, but you won't really know until you lay a color next to it, mm -hmm. right? So unless you lay the green grass next to it, mm -hmm. what's most important is that color relativity. So Tim, he tries to get it as, as best he can, but he's sort of non-committal. And psychologically, he's loose. In the beginning, he's like, you know, I, I'm not so I'm not stressing myself or putting this extra pressure on myself to get the color accurately. Okay. Let me get a value first, okay. and then I'll get the color. Mm. Tim, Tim's, you know, I don't know if it's fair to say he's making this stuff up, but um, he's not 100% loyal to what's in front of him. Yeah. And that's by choice. He's more interested in making an expressive, he wants to make a, an, an expressive, um, you know, it's his poetry. You mm -hmm. know, he's seeing nature and, and this is his expressive poetic representation of what's before him. Mm -hmm. So for that reason, you know, he's pushing values. He's pulling values when he has to. Mm -hmm. He's condensing. He's leaving out. He's pushing the color. He's pushing warms in there where they're not. Um, he's using his artistic sensibilities. Mm. You know, he's yeah. he's a virtuoso, a maestro, if you will. Yeah, um, he amazing to watch. Yes, he's amazing to watch. You hearing this, Tim? You're amazing, man. <laughs> <laughs> he's actually a really humble guy. He's rolling his eyes right now, but um, that's all good. Okay, mm -hmm. so um, so old Timmy, he's not concerned with 100% accuracy, and that's coming from the top, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> And that is was much relief to me, you know. After doing this for, for many years, I'm humbled by like, oh, yeah, of course. I'm too hard on myself to get it accurate <laughs> right from the start. <laughs> um, but, you know, this this whole psychological component uh, of painting is um, it's a very real thing. Um, so be looser on yourself. It's You don't have to get the color 100% accurate. Get the values 100% accurate. I'll mm -hmm. shoot for that in the beginning. So the last part of the painting he's committing to. He, he, the final colors. Yes, the painting. But the uh, values are all. The there. painting evolves as soon as he puts all of the shapes in. You know. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, he's he assumes he will change the color anyway. Okay. But as long as he has the value right, he's yeah. good. Okay, so we'll end with Timothy tips, and I'll just bang out a few of them. Timothy mm -hmm. tips, and this is his words. Timothy, every now and then during the workshop, he, he's very whimsical and light, and he's just he's just a fun guy to be around. He's, yeah. He, he's good at reading the temperature of the room and sort of understanding everybody's needs. And, and he, he, he keeps you sort of, yeah, he keeps, he keeps it positive and yeah. stress-free. Yeah, yeah. And so he'll say, here's a Timothy tip, you know? And, and I, I, I was flipping through my notes. So I, yeah, I have Timothy bunch. tips. And it's like three or four of them. And I kind of yeah. condensed them all at the end because I thought these were fun. Timothy tips, hold off on white as long as you can. 
This isn't the first time I've heard this, and it may not be the first time. You've heard it, you may very well practice this. But again, th this is the nature of the heart of seeing. These are my takeaways, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and for, for some, this will be Eureka, some may not be, but whatever the case, hold off on the whites as long as you can. Okay. Uh, I see other painters do this. Don Demers did that in a demo once. And um, and the idea is, you know, white is can be a contaminator, you know? Mm -hmm. So essentially you're starting with darks, uh, and so your darks are transparent and he keeps them out of the white as long as he can. Around, where I'm gonna get those mid-tones to lights um, mm -hmm. is when you're adding white anyway. So start with the darks, progress to the mid-tones and, and the lights, and you know, not to be formulaic. I think it's uh, it's good to have an understanding of these academic principles, how it works, and then just you're free to roam about your painting. Um, okay, Timothy tip number two. And I love this one. This 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 was actually, I, I, I do this because of Tim. And Tim, thank you. This actually helped me so much. If you're having a troubled spot in your painting and you're laboring over it, you know, wipe the damn thing away. Oh. Wipe it away. Wipe, not the whole painting, yeah, yeah. but a se that section. And he said almost 100% of the time when he wipes it away, it almost always immediately improves the painting and sort of clears his head. Yeah. And it's the freedom, that free space in your head can energize uh, energize that section. You know, mm -hmm. it, it sort of frees up your brain to, to come up with a solution without agonizing over the nonsense yeah, that's yeah. there already. Sure. And I've done it. And I'm like, oh my God, Tim, you're the best man. That was the price of the workshop right there. <laughs> um, <laughs> So let's see, uh, blah, 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 so on and so forth. Last one is um, a Timothy tip. He says, um, light in shadow on a sunny day that is exposed to the sky is blue. And of course, right? It's just reflective mm -hmm. reflective light. So in your shadows, if if your shadows are exposed to a blue sky, there's going to be blue in those shadows. Yeah. Um, and that's really observational seeing anyway. Um, but okay, I think that uh, that pretty much sums it up. Um, I, I could bore you for hours, but I think that's a good sort of pop, 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 pop. This is not boring. I've heard great, <laughs> great feedback. No, thank you. You're sweet. Um, so people fun. can find them at timhornart.com. Timhornart.com. Yeah. But you have a workshop with him coming up in the fall. I sure do. Yeah, this will be, um, I think I said we work with him twice. We we have. This is the second one's actually coming up, and we're doing a third workshop next year. So, um, yes, in, uh. um, in October... Timothy and I, the Gunkwood Summer School of Art, will be returning to Tuscany under the great tutelage of the great Tim Horn. So he'll be teaching a one-week workshop okay. in Italy. This one is sold out. It actually sold out yeah. within weeks. Right. This guy, he's he's got a pretty popular name right now in the painting world. People yeah. love him. And if you look at his work, you can totally see why. You know, mm. you're gonna his paintings are juicy. Um, the colors are electric. They're they're less representational than, say, you know, Tom Hughes, or the, they're not representational. Okay, mm -hmm. he's pushing color, mm -hmm. um, and it, it just looks fun when you look at the color. You're like, oh, you can feel the freedom. Like, oh, you know, it looks fun to just, mm -hmm. you know, may, may, may realistic color be damned, you know? <laughs> and it's funny. Like, I my natural painting. Not that it's about me, but you know, if if you can relate to this, like my natural painting. Uh, it, I, I go for real color. Yeah. But when I see Tim's work, I'm like, you know something, why am I going for real color? <laughs> Tim's having all the damn fun. Right. I'm trying to get, you exactly. know, laboring. Um, it's not on my website yet, but Tim and I, about a week and a half ago, uh, finally got the dates and we nailed down. We are doing a workshop in Ireland in June of 2020, getting way Ooh. ahead of it. Um, I 
We haven't even announced it, put it on the website yet, but I'm having the postcards printed up to announce it. We'll probably launch it sometime next week. Okay. But um, if you want to get two steps ahead of the sheriff, nice. just shoot me an email or something. Reach out, <laughs> toddbenita.com. Just fine. Google my name, find me, and contact me, and, and we'll get you on the uh, on the island workshop. Uh, that's going to be great fun. We're going to we're going to paint the wild west Atlantic uh, coast of Ireland nice. in June um, wow. of 2020. So. Get on board the party train, the Tim Juan painting party train. Yeah. Uh, so there you have it, Laura. Thank you again for All having right. me. It's fun talking about uh, wicked good artists yeah. and what they're doing. It. Yeah, me too. The Hadassian. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. If you found inspiration from today's show, make sure you are subscribed to the podcast and share it with a friend or two on social media. Also, take a moment to write a quick review on iTunes or share your takeaways from today's show on artistsofnewengland.com under today's episode. And while you're there, you'll find links to the topics mentioned in today's show. And don't forget to peruse the growing library of podcasts and resources. Thanks for listening. You got beauty to share with the world that no other human has. So get in the ring and pick up that brush.